0: Good morning. I, uh, for those who are visiting, uh, our pastor Drew Stevens is away on some much-needed, well-earned vacation in the U.S. with his family. He'll be back, uh, I think, two Sundays from now. He'll return to the pulpit. So, um, basically, this means there's no acronyms and no creative videos today. It's, uh, you know, it's just me. <clears throat> uh, I do thank you, Trev, for your kind words about Andrew. All I can say is he must have amazing parents. Um, <laughs> we truly are grateful for, for God's grace in his life and, and very proud of him and, and uh, it did truly is bittersweet uh, read Psalm 127 about children being arrows and it occurred to me we were, we were shooting our last one out of the quiver uh, although one was sort of a boomerang she's back for the summer but, uh, <laughs> but still they're, they're, they are a blessing thank Jeremy for his uh, uh, preaching to us last week, you know, he apologized, saying that um, it went a lot longer than he had rehearsed. I, I struggle with that, too, only my solution to that has been to not rehearse, so um, then I don't have to worry. You have to worry, but I don't. So um, so John 14, uh, several years ago, uh, our family was in the U.S., and for our 20th wedding anniversary, I my gift to Karen was... That I signed us up for ballroom dancing lessons. Yeah. Um, Karen was already good at ballroom dancing. I was not. I'd never done it before. Faked it, but had never, had never done it. I, my dancing years really were in the age of disco, which, uh, <laughs> thankfully, has died, a painful death, and thankfully there was no social media going on, so. Until the last great day, as far as I know, there's no record. Yeah. Yeah. So you also need to know that that where this happened, we were in Louisiana, which is in the southern part of the U.S. So the man that was our dance instructor was also a horse trainer. Yeah. Yeah. Our, our weekly lessons were the highlight of his week, mainly because I was so incompetent. He loved, he just howled as, as we waltzed across the room, as I waltzed Karen straight into a corner, and then looked up, not knowing what to do. Didn't know how to turn a corner. He just, and he would just, I was just waiting for you to get to that corner. And then he would remind me to do things like breathe. I just, I, it was, you've seen the dog obedience schools. Well, this was obedience school and I was the dog. Okay, it was, it was great. It's actually a great illustration, great metaphor for marriage dynamics because as in dance, so in life, I find myself navigating life with someone who gladly follows and yet excels me in so many areas. Well, in our text today, Jesus describes our relationship with him in these terms in in verse 20. In that day, you'll know that I am in my Father, you in me, and I in you. This relationship has been likened by many over the centuries to a dance in which two people who love each other deeply are engaged in a journey together. In terms of music and a dance, it's it's momentary, but in terms of our relationship with Christ, it's, it's in this life and on into eternity. So I want us to think together for a few minutes about what it means, really, these, these, verses in verse, this, these words in verse 20 that we are in Christ and Christ is in us. This is sometimes called our union with Christ. And this, uh, for, for centuries, really was the main way people described the Christian life, was in terms of our union with Christ, us in Christ. Christ in us. But if you read books published this century, the last century, you really don't see it described that much. And I, I think we, we're poorer for, for it. So I'd love to see us recover that. So let's look for, uh, for our time together at these phrases. First, The first thing I want us to see is, is the foundation of this, where Jesus says, I am in my Father. This is really the foundation of... Of our union with Christ, it is His union with the Father, His relationship with the Father, and He says something very similar to this in His prayer for us in John chapter 17, in verse. Um, uh, John chapter 17, starting in verse 20, Jesus is praying for us. This is not long before His arrest. He says, "My prayer is not for them alone. I pray also for those who will believe in Me through their message. Okay, that's us. That all of them may be one Father." Just as you are in me, and I am in you. May they also be in us, so that the world may believe that you sent me. Isn't that beautiful? Jesus prays that we will have a relationship with him and with his father like he has with his father. It's, it's breathtaking that, that this is even possible. Well, what does it mean? Well, again, think of, of the dance. All of us who have put our hope in Christ... In a sense, they've been welcomed into the life of God. The love among Father, Son, and Spirit bringing us into to that love relationship, giving us life. We draw life from them. We say, well, here's the Father and there's the Son, but where's the Spirit? Well, it's mentioned. The Spirit is mentioned in verses 16 and 17 when Jesus says, I'll ask the Father. He'll give you another helper. He may be with you forever. The Spirit of truth the world cannot receive because it does not see Him or know Him, but you know Him. Because he abides with you and will be in you. A great change took place the day of Pentecost when the Spirit came to dwell within God's people in a new way at a deeper level. This Holy Spirit is one who makes this a reality for us. It makes the reality of of us knowing and experiencing the love of God on a moment-by-moment basis in that that relationship, in in that dance. I, I learned in dancing. To say I learned in dancing is a stretch, but... I did understand it took all of my concentration. I still remember the look on Karen's face, uh, usually horrified, but still, you know, just my concentration on what I was doing, but also on her. And I understand that if you continue to practice, it becomes enjoyable and, and, uh, and you can enjoy being together in that way. I'm, uh, yeah. So, anyway, we, we left the horse trainer and came back to Prague. So. But it's important for us to understand that the foundation of our relationship with Christ and our union with Him, of us in Christ and Christ in us, is Christ's own relationship with the Father, with the Spirit. That this is, this is a dance in which we are welcomed. It is something from which we draw life. And it is not self centered, it is other centered, it is God it is centered, it it's Christ centered. We are, we are displaced as, from being the center of our own lives, drawn into a dance. So the next phrase Jesus says, there in verse 20. Let me me point out, before I do that, in verse 19. He says, after a little while, the world will no longer see me. You will see me. You know, he's preparing his disciples for his departure. He says, you will see me. I think he's talking immediately about his resurrection. They would see him with their physical eyes. There would be a time when he would depart from them after that. They would not see him physically, but he would give us Give them and give us something even greater. His spirit dwelling within us. It's beautiful. So the next phrase in verse 20. He says, I am in my Father. And then he says, you in me. So what does it mean to be in Christ? Well, to be in Christ means that we are united to Jesus. And all that he has done for us. That is, we receive the benefits of his life, of his death. His burial, His resurrection, His ascension. All of those come to us as gifts. There's, there's nothing you can do. There is there's no ceremony to this. There is no good deed. There is no level of behavior or conduct. These are free gifts. We enter into this life. We, he, everything that He did becomes a benefit to us. reminds me of a friend of mine who who was in graduate school and and really just making enough money to survive. Then he got married, and his wife had already finished school and was working and making a good income. And he said, I not only got to start life with my wife, but suddenly there was all this money, (laughs) and it was mine, (laughs) just because it was hers. It was great. (laughs) It was sort of like that, our life in Christ. There is... All of this, there is life, love, things that that boggle our minds, defy our imagination, that are ours because they are Christ's and because we are in him. So it's like what Paul says to the church in Ephesus, Ephesians chapter 2 and verse 4. He says, but God, being rich in mercy because of the great love with which he loved us, even when we were dead in our trespasses, made us alive together with Christ, by grace you've been saved, and raised us up with him, seated us with him in the heavenly places in Christ Jesus, so that in the coming ages he might show the immeasurable riches of his grace and kindness toward us in Christ. This truly is Amazing. It's astounding. God takes us who were dead in sin, speaks life, (laughs) causes us to be made alive, despite what we were, despite that we were hostile and, and enemies of his, makes us alive in Christ, unites us to him forever, so that we'll do stuff? No. So that we'll be good? No. So that we'll do better? No. It is so that he might show us even more grace in the age to come. He shows us grace not to get something from us, but to show us more grace. It is, it is astounding. It really is. So being in Christ means that God always, in all you do, sees you in relationship to Jesus. Never alone. You're always in him. It doesn't mean he turns a blind eye to your sin. But he sees you in relationship to Jesus. The the debt is paid. The sin is atoned. And he has declared that Jesus' righteousness, that perfect life he lived, is yours. This really is life changing. See, it means that, that our failures don't have the last word in our relationship with the Lord. Okay, don't look at me like that. You know we're all pathetic, right? <laughs> I mean, isn't that great? My, my half-heartedness, my, my list of failures, those are not the last word in my relationship with God. And it means when you go to him in prayer, he receives you as if he were receiving Jesus himself. Because you are in Christ. He always sees you in relation to Christ. Never by yourself. It means there's nothing you can do, nothing you can fail to do to make God love you any more or any less. You are in Christ. Nothing will change this. Nothing. Nothing can possibly change this. It also means we don't have to prove ourselves to anyone. You see, because we're in Christ, the final verdict that awaits every person has already been passed. You might lay your head down at night and dread that final day when you will stand before God and give account for your life. It's terrifying to think of. And yet, that verdict has been passed on those who have put their hope in Christ. He has already declared you to be righteous. All the claims of his law are satisfied. As far as the law is concerned, we have lived a perfect life, not because... We have done it, but because our hope is in Christ who did. And he has given us his righteousness as a gift. That's incredibly freeing. It means you don't have to impress anyone. Because you don't have to earn anyone's favor. You've already already survived the, the, the great day in a sense. It means you don't have to buy things with money you don't have to impress people you don't even like. There will come a day when the the great and the small and the the slave and the free and the powerful and the powerless will will flee, will look for a place to hide from the wrath of God, the wrath of Jesus Himself. Scripture tells us that we will stand in that day. We will stand in the presence of His glory, blameless with great joy. Isn't that amazing? It is a gift of grace. Not because we've been good, not because we've showed up for communion, a gift of grace. We're in Christ. It frees us from fear, frees us from having to impress people, frees us from the fear of man, frees us from bondage to religion and good deeds, frees us to love and to serve as Christ. We're in Christ. But then the last phrase here. It's that Christ, he says in verse 20, you and me and I in you. This is Christ in us. So the next phrase emphasizes the new life that Jesus gives us when we come to know him. Paul summed up the message he proclaimed like this, Colossians chapter 1, this mystery among the Gentiles that is the nations, which is Christ in you, the hope of glory. Now he called it a mystery because it's something that's not revealed in the Old Testament. It, it is something new. Most of the New Testament It's a clear and explicit fulfillment of the old. But the Old Testament tells us that the Messiah is coming. It doesn't tell us that we will be in the Messiah, and the Messiah will be in us. That's that's what Paul means by by mystery. Christ in us means that a new life, the life of Christ himself, has taken up residence in our lives. Rankin-Wilburn, you love that name, right? You know his parents have a sense of humor. Rankin-Wilburn said this. The same Christ who overcame every temptation and was perfectly obedient, that Jesus is in you now. The Jesus who led as a servant, who washed his disciples' feet, he's in you. The Jesus who repeatedly shattered racial barriers with his teachings and in his life, that Jesus is in you. The Jesus who suffered and loved to the end, he dwells in you. And the Jesus who was raised to new life, that Jesus is living in you right now. And that changes things. I... I'd grown up religious and going to church and being um, a relatively good child. Uh, thankfully, my mother's 91 and doesn't remember details, so that's good. <laughs> but I didn't know Christ. And, and as I was a student in university, I, I had acquired several vices since that had really laid hold of my life. There came a point where I was really dissatisfied with my life and, and I wanted to change and I tried to lay those, those vices, those things aside and I found I could not. But one night, 35 years ago, Jesus came in. Where I thought I just maybe needed to get back in church and, started doing, and start doing better. God showed me I did not need church, I did not need to do better. I needed Christ. And when Jesus came in, things changed. Those, those vices just fell off like chains off my hands. Of course, over time, I, I discovered there were other things less, less visible, <laughs> that more deeply ingrained that, uh, that Jesus is still working on. If you need specifics, my family is here. <laughs> they may not be as visible to you as, as they are to those who... Endure me day by day. And that process is ongoing. That process is gradual for me as it is for all of you. He is constantly working. It is Christ in us. He is, he is changing us. He is, he is fitting us to live forever. He's fitting us to enjoy communion with Him forever. I mean, this, this is like. Part of the the grand narrative of Scripture, God created us. You see in the opening chapters of Genesis, God God creates Adam and Eve, and they're in fellowship with him. They they disobey him, and that fellowship is broken. But at the end of of the revelation of the last book, it says, Behold, now the the dwelling place of God is with man. And there is that that communion fully restored. That That is what we have as a taste now. There's times when I felt discouraged in that process. There's, you know, Christian life is full of seasons. You know, we have seasons of great growth. We have, we, have, we have seasons of harvest. We have seasons of winter when it seems like nothing is happening. And there are times when I feel discouraged. I I've, I've felt it this week, to be honest. But I, I take hope promises like Philippians 1.6, where Paul says, I'm sure of this, that he who began a good work in you will bring it to completion At the day of Jesus Christ. It's like dancing. I'm still learning. And I'll get up tomorrow and learn some more. So, we're in Christ. We're forever united to Jesus and all the benefits of his life and death and resurrection are ours by God's grace. But Christ is in us, energizing us to live for him. Now why does this matter? This all sounds nice and, and professorial and all that. It's great. But why does it matter? There's a couple of reasons it matters. One, I believe this leads us to fruitful living. And if you can find John chapter fifteen in your Bible, well it shouldn't be difficult. If you found John fourteen, just turn, swipe, flip, do something. John chapter fifteen. It's so our union with Christ is what makes our lives fruitful. Jesus says in in John 15, and verse 1, I am the true vine. My Father is the vine dresser. Every branch in me that does not bear fruit, He takes away. And every branch that does bear fruit, He prunes that it may bear more fruit. Already you are clean because of the word that I have spoken to you. The Father is determined to make you fruitful for Him. In verse 2, you'll see it says that He takes away the branch in Christ that doesn't bear fruit. Does that that trouble you? It's, It's troubled me as I've read it. But I believe... That It's closer to the meaning of the word in the original language that he lifts up that branch that does not bear fruit. This is an agricultural illustration. And the vine dresser basically positions the branch so that it can bear fruit. He, he lifts it up. If it's covered with earth, he lifts it up. He cleans it. He positions it so that it gets sunlight, air, water, everything it needs to bear fruit. He is determined to bring you to a place of fruitfulness. I don't think he's, this is given to us to terrify us. There's plenty that does terrify us. But I think, he is, I think what Jesus is telling us here is God is determined to make us fruitful. If we do bear fruit, he prunes us so that we bear more fruit. Then he says in verse 4, Abide in me and I in you. As the branch cannot bear fruit by itself unless it abides in the vine, neither can you unless you abide in me. I am the vine, you're the branches. Whoever abides in me and I in him, he it is that bears much fruit. For apart from me you can do nothing. So this is the only way our lives are fruitful, is by abiding in Christ. It is by enjoying, savoring that that union with him, us in him, and he in us. To see character changed, there aren't aren't steps, okay? It's knowing that we are in Christ and Christ in us. Deeds accomplished, disciples made, work made productive, relationships restored, blessing in the midst of misfortune and tragedy and, and sorrow. How does this happen? I think at, at the root of it is this union with Christ. We're in Christ. That's who we are. Christ is in us, and he, he energizes us, enables us to do what he asked of us. The next verses give us a contrast between those who abide in him and those who don't. It says, if anyone does not abide in me, he's thrown away like a branch and withers. The branches are gathered and thrown into the fire and burned. If you abide in me and my words abide in you, ask whatever you wish, and it will be done for you. By this my Father is glorified, that you bear much fruit, and so prove to be my disciples. As the Father has loved me, so have I loved you. Abide in my love. If you keep my commandments, you'll abide in my love, just as I kept my Father's commandments and abide in his love. These things I have spoken to you, that my joy may be in you, and that your joy may be full. Again, think in terms of the dance. We've all seen dances where where someone cuts in. That is, there's a couple dancing and during the music, the man enters, he taps the shoulder of the man who's dancing and asks to dance with the woman. Now, that's, that's how ballroom dancing works. The appropriate thing to do, let it happen, go along with it. But think of this in our relationship with Christ. If it, and I don't mean to sound irreverent here, but picture yourself in this dance and someone cuts in. Now, why might someone cut in? Well. They might see your life in Christ and be drawn to that. They may desire joy and love, and that's fine. You you welcome more into the dance. But sometimes there there are those who cut in those people and those, those things that would distract us, that would distract our attention. And maybe you don't dance as much, but maybe you've seen it in conversations. You're speaking with someone, and they're always looking past you. They're not really talking to you. They're... They give you that impression there's someone more important than you that, <laughs> that they're looking for. That can happen with us. We, we get distracted from the dance. Because in the dance, your attention is on the person you're dancing with. Your attention is on Christ in this relationship with him. And then something happens. Financial hardship, a strained relationship, a number of things. Physical health, Life's full of, of these kinds of things. And we get distracted. And, and suddenly our attention shifts from Christ to our, to our problems. Shifts from Christ to tragedy. Shifts from Christ to, to whatever else is going on. And we get distracted. And we're not engaged. And there is the opposite of fruitfulness. It is, it is fruitlessness. It is destruction. And when you allow yourself to become distracted, to not engage in the dance, to not cultivate that union with Christ, that that relationship, you in Christ and Christ in you, you you are inviting destruction. There's a novelist named uh, David Foster Wallace. Um, Three years before he committed suicide, he said this to the 2005 graduating class of Kenyon College. He said, there is no such thing as not worshiping everybody worships. The only choice we get is what to worship. And the compelling reason for maybe choosing some sort of God or spiritual type thing to worship is that pretty much anything else you worship will eat you alive. If you worship money or things, if they're where you tap real meaning in life, then you will never feel you have enough. Worship your body and beauty and sexual allure, and you will always feel ugly. Worship power And you will end up feeling weak and afraid, and you'll need ever more power over others to numb you to your own fear. Worship your intellect, being seen as smart, and you will end up feeling stupid, a fraud, always on the verge of being found out. Well, to be honest, there are seasons in our lives when a lot of our energy is is spent just fighting to stay in the dance. I fight distractions constantly. Maybe you do too. You look at me like you don't, but I think you do. That's, that's the good fight, okay? You are fighting to stay engaged with Christ. Christ in us, us in Christ. This also matters because it helps us with focused living. Now, if I were to ask you to give me some word pictures the Bible describes about our relationship with Christ, about the Christian life, what would you say? This is the part where in Drew's sermon, I'm usually popping a mint. And you're kind of fading, so I'm going to let you just throw some things back at me, okay? So, word pictures in the Bible, Christian life. We've talked about one, abiding in Christ. What's another one? Race. A race, running the race. Good. What else? Mirror. A mirror. Okay, excellent. What else? Marriage. Branch, abiding like branch in the vine. Yeah, excellent. Yes, Ian. Marriage. Marriage. Good, okay. Others? Soldier, farmer. Soldiers? Intentional. Intentionality with soldiers, farmers, soldiers fighting, farmers. Um, You my dad was a farmer. To me, the idea of farming is just hard work. (laughs) Up early, work hard, collapse at night. Okay. Obedience? Obedience. Shepherd. Shepherd and sheep, good, okay. Those are all good and they're all great, but you notice how different they are? I mean, we have abiding... You know, we have resting, and then we have fighting and farming. They're they're really different. So, you know, I mean, we talk about abiding like a branch in a vine, and we talk about running a race. Well, no branch runs, okay? I mean, the branch is stationary. It draws life. I'm not suggesting that we all, you know, do the camouflage, run around like bushes. But, But what does this mean? Well, one thing it means is that there are... Of course, there are seasons to life. There are seasons when there is, there is a race to run, and, and we're, we need to run. There times when we've been running so much, what we need to do is stop and catch our breath and abide. There, these I think these speak to different seasons of our lives. But also, as, as we read things about the Christian life, the, we typically tend to see things in two categories. One is the, the category of extravagant grace. So this is... Um, um, like in the parable of the prodigal son or the parable of the man with two lost sons, we have the, the younger son who returns home. He's broken, and he wants to come home as a servant, and the father welcomes him as a son. The older son, who's never left home, has always done everything right, he's jealous, and the father goes to him as well graciously, saying the point is not the obedience or the disobedience. It's just the father's love. We see in Galatians 2, I mean, this is emphatic. Paul says it three times. We know that a person is not justified by the works of the law, but through faith in Christ. So we have believed in Christ in order to be justified by faith in Christ, not by works of the law, because by the works of the law, no one will be justified. It's like, why say in five words what you can say in 50, right? It's like, it's emphatic. You cannot earn salvation. It is a gift of grace. You see it in Tim Keller's book, Prodigal God, J.D. Greer's book, Gospel, John Piper's book, Future Grace. Those are all great books. I've profited from those. I recommend them. Really good. But there's another way to see, this, to see our life in Christ, and that's the way of radical discipleship. See, this tells us that saving faith leads us to obey Jesus radically. Like Jesus said in Luke 9, If anyone would come after me, let him deny himself and take up his cross daily and follow me. Philippians 2, Therefore, my beloved, as you have always obeyed, so now, not only as in my presence, but much more in my absence, Work out your salvation with fear and trembling, for it is God who works in you to will and to work for his good pleasure. How about James 2? You believe that God is one? You do well. Congratulations. Even the demons believe and shudder. You have, maybe, demonic faith. For as the body apart from the spirit is dead, so also faith apart from works is dead. Dietrich Bonhoeffer, German pastor and theologian, was executed by the Nazis. He challenged the cheap grace of his generation. David Platt's book, Radical, Counterculture, issue the same challenge. And I don't say that just because David Platt's the president of the organization that supports us. But if you're listening, David, I fully support you. Um, <laughs> but I think he's right. John Piper's Future Grace does the same thing. You might notice I mentioned Piper before. Future Grace is one of those that I think captures both of these very well. But again, these are, these are great books. I'm not being critical. They're They're great. So two ways to understand our relationship to Christ. Extravagant grace, radical discipleship. question is, which is right? might have guessed already. They both are. But the problem is, few of us really live to the full, the gospel. Few of us really live to the full in our union with Christ. Extravagant grace says, if you want to live to the full, believe more. Radical discipleship says, if you want to live, if you want to, live to the full, obey more. And you know what? If you're trying to believe more and obey more, your focus is still on yourself. And that's not the point. Okay? What is the point? I think the point is, again, returning to the dance, focusing on Christ, what he has done for us, and, and his presence in our lives. To get your focus on him and not on yourself. How do we do that? You know, it's not rocket science. There's no steps. Any of you read Babylon Bee? It's great, Okay. I, I was amused this week as they had a... I just read the headlines. I, I hardly ever read the articles. I'm just so tickled by the headlines. But there was one a picture of a guy praying. His Bible's right here. And it says, local man, one meter from his Bible, prays for God to speak to him. Gosh. Bible's right there. That's how God speaks. You stay in the word. You pray. Guys who are married, if I ask how you know you're married... I dare say none of you will say, well, I know because we've got our, our marriage license, our marriage certificate uh, in the bedside table, and that's how I know. If I ever wonder if I'm married, I just need to open the drawer and pull out that sheet of paper, and that tells me I'm married. Or maybe I look on my finger and I say, I've got a ring. I know. That's not how anybody feels married. It's because you have life together and you communicate. The word and the prayer, that is, that is communicating. You're in fellowship with others. You're in worship in settings like this and in smaller groups. That's how it happens. Well, I don't know what your plans are this summer. I don't know if you're traveling, holiday, whatever you do, but I want to urge you, challenge you just to focus on Jesus, to meditate on your union with Christ, you in Christ and Christ in you, and what that means in your own life. Some of you are not in the dance at all. You are sitting at the side <laughs> and wondering, would, would Jesus be inviting you into the dance? Would he be calling you to put your hope in him? To link your life and hope and identity and destiny to him? And the answer is yes. I mean, in a few moments, we'll, we'll celebrate the communion, Lord's Supper, as a reminder of his sufferings. He died for this. He died to bring you into this life with him. And so the answer is an emphatic Yes, he, he desires you. He wants you in the dance with him. He wants you bearing fruit for him. He wants you radiant with joy from being with him. So, as we transition from this to a time of communion, I want to challenge you to do three things. First, remember we've been forever united to Jesus, his death and resurrection are symbolized the bread and the cup. We are in Christ. Nothing can change that. Second, reflect on the truth that the one whose sufferings we remember, he is in us. He he has come to live within us. And then third, simply ask yourself, because communion is a time of self-examination, how engaged are you in the dance? Or has something come along to, to distract you? And you just make whatever adjustments you need to make, commitments you need to make in that time. Let's pray. Thank you, Father, that you have brought us into Christ. And you have given Christ not only for us, but to be within us. Help us live these things to the full. And we ask this in Christ's name. Amen. Let me ask our servers to come forward as we transition to a time of communion. This is always a special time uh, for us to be able to celebrate as a church, to remember what Jesus has done for us. His death and his resurrection are the foundation of our hope and our confidence. So we've meditated today on this thing that that we are in Christ, in Christ in us. As we meditate on, he was broken for us, that we might know him. That he might live within us to, to take us into that knowledge of him. This, this is not magic, but it's holy. And it's not, it's not mystical, but it's a memorial. It's a symbol of what Jesus did. And yet at the same time, there is a sense in which he comes close to us. And that's, I can't tell you the times in, in my life when, when I have just felt as the Lord has just visited me in a special way through, through this. So I would encourage you to participate as you feel so inclined to do Um, Scripture tells us that that this is a confession of faith. So if this is a faith you do not yet possess, I would encourage you to wait until another time to, to participate in this because it would not be consistent with where you are in your life. So let me read from 1 Corinthians chapter 11, starting verse 23, where Paul says this, For I received from the Lord what I also passed on to you. The Lord Jesus, on the night he was betrayed, took bread And when he had given thanks, he broke it and said, This is my body, which is for you. Do this in remembrance of me. In the same way, after supper, he took the cup, saying, This cup is the new covenant in my blood. Do this whenever you drink it in remembrance of me. So then, whoever eats the bread or drinks the cup of the Lord in an unworthy manner will be guilty of sinning against the body and blood of the Lord. Everyone ought to examine themselves before they eat of the bread and drink from the cup. For those who eat and drink without discerning the body of Christ... Eat and drink judgment upon themselves. Let's pray together. Father, we thank you that you loved us and sent Jesus for us. Jesus, we thank you for all that you suffered to bring us into fellowship with you, to bring us into the dance. Help us renew our focus on you. Please help us understand a little more this morning what it means that You died for us, that we might be forgiven and free in fellowship with you forever. Thank you. Please make these times, these moments real and precious to us. For we ask this in the name of Jesus. Amen.